Well, good morning. I'm Joe. for those of you who don't know me. Um, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you this morning. I wonder if you recognize the man that's going to appear on the screen in a minute. Of course, it's Bear Grylls. You might remember him from the Alpha promo DVDs. Um, but he's most remembered, most known for his crazy adventure programs. I will confess to have watched quite a few myself. I'm a big fan of Bear Grylls. And Bear Grylls is a man who has eaten a raw snake and has sheltered in the carcass of an animal to survive. But he is also a man, I wonder if you know, um, that broke his back a while ago when he was a younger man. He was in the SAS, it's where he learned a lot of the skills that we see um, displayed on our TV screens. He was in the SAS as a younger man, and um, he was on a tour in South Africa, and he decided to go parachute jumping with his friends. And you can see where the story's going. His parachute didn't open, and he landed, crash-landed um, in the South African desert on his back, broke his back. He just marginally missed, um, completely severing his spinal cord, but he broke a majority of the vertebrae. So you can imagine he was in bed for a long time, um, rehabilitating and learning to walk again. And in Bear's book, I'd highly recommend it, it's a great read, Bear talks about um, this, mo this time that he was in bed, this recovery season, and he remembers this photo, this picture peering down at him from a childhood photo that was in his bedroom as he was growing up, and it was a photo of Mount Everest. And this photo, he remembers it peering down at him and actually giving him the dream that he had as a child. He had this crazy dream as a child to climb Mount Everest. Now, that's a crazy dream for anyone, right? Never mind someone who's lying in bed with a broken back. But Bear says, this, looking at this photo every day of his recovery, spurred him on, it gave him the determination to recover. And those of you who know Bear will know that in 1998, Bear became the youngest Briton to summit Mount Everest after having a broken back. An incredible feat. You see, because what Bear looked at in his time, in his darkest time, it mattered. What he paid his attention to mattered. And for us, in this Lent period, we're saying the same thing. What we look at really matters. But what have we been looking at? Well, we've been looking for hope this Lent. We've been looking to refresh ourselves with the gospel of Jesus' cross and resurrection. We've sung about it this morning in a beautiful way. We've encountered that Jesus. We want to be marked by no other narrative than the gospel. And Mark last week gave us this stunning picture, this hopeful vision of Jesus, of Jesus and his judgment. He spoke about a picture of God who meets us in our sin, who delivers us from it, destroys the sin, and liberates us to live in freedom. And in our passage that Lauren read to us this morning from John's Gospel, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. It's a brilliant passage. I'd really encourage you to go and read the full thing. We've only got a part of it today. And I'm going to focus in on the part that we've read. Jesus is, is, is reminding um, Nicodemus about this story that we can read about back in the Old Testament 
in Numbers chapter 21. You can read about it, verse 5 to 8. It's a story of the Israelites in the desert. And the Israelites have been there a while. They're with Moses. They've been grumbling and groaning. And some snakes, some poisonous snakes are sent into the desert. And the Israelites are dying left, right, and center because of these poisonous snakes. So Moses cries out to God and says, God, save us. So God replies with his remedy. He says to Moses, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and hold it up for people to see. And everyone that looks at this snake will be healed from the poisonous wounds. Now, it sounds like a strange story, and we we know that the power is not in the bronze snake, right? We know that God's power heals. And similarly, in our reading this morning, we've heard Jesus compare himself to that image. The Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up so that everyone who looks at him will have eternal life. And just like with the Israelites in the desert, Jesus here is saying that humankind has a deadly disease. Humankind has a deadly disease. It's sin. And the only cure for this deadly disease is to look at Jesus, to look at Jesus and find life through believing in him. There is no other way. So let's just take a moment to think about what we all love to think about. Let's take a moment to think about sin. Because actually, when we're talking about looking at Jesus, which that's what we want to do this morning, we want to look at Jesus But the problem is, and the problem we often find, if you're anything like me, is that when we look at Jesus, we have to look at the sin that Jesus is dying for. You can't have one without the other. The theologian Tom Wright says this, says, the evil which was and is deep-rooted within us all was allowed to take its full force on Jesus. In looking at him on the cross, we're looking at the result of the evil in which we are all stuck. And we are seeing God's remedy. It can be really hard to get our heads around this kind of evil, this kind of deadly disease that we live in. We've been living in something similar with COVID. You know, you can't see COVID. We're we're living through this pandemic where we see the effects of it. We see the statistics, but we can't see the, the, the disease around us. We can see from the stats that it's a very real enemy to human life. And sin is like a virus. It in one sense it's everywhere. And yet we see it by its effects. You might think of sin as as the individual acts that you do or other people do around you. You might recognize telling a lie, cheating, your taxes, being unfaithful in a relationship. These sins of of commission and, and sins of omission, things we don't do that we should do. Not standing up when we should do, when something is being done that's wrong. I mean, haven't we seen this in the most abhorrent way this week in the death of Sarah Everard. I mean, one man's choice, sinful choice, deeply sinful choice has ended the life of a young woman. 
We saw it in the killing of George Floyd last year. We saw this incredibly dark act. That is sin. That is an accurate picture of sin. And yet, we know that there's something else going on. It's not just isolated events. We know that there's something systemic going on that influences those individual decisions that we all experience. You see it in the reaction of women this week, as the guys prayed for earlier, you know, this visceral reaction from women that are saying, I don't want to experience that anymore. I don't want to be objectified on the street anymore. I don't want to feel afraid when I get off the bus, when it's dark. You see it in the rise up of, of um, the reaction to George Floyd killing. You see it in people across the world who are saying no more to the racist, systemic systems in our world. There is a power to sin that pervades the whole earth. It's in our bones. We can't shake it off on our own. And the Bible talks about this kind of sin too. It talks about the whole earth groaning from the effects of it. Theologian Fleming Rutledge writes this. The human race is enmeshed in the consequences of a vast primordial catastrophe, as John Cardinal Newman put it. Primordial meaning from the beginning. The world has been thrown violently off course by an alien power hostile to God. And paradoxically, each of us is responsible for his own part or her own part in the resulting mess. According to Paul, sin is both an enslaving power external to man and man's own culpable act. So when we're, when we're looking to Jesus for healing from sin, we're looking for two things. We're looking for atonement from our guilt, to be unified to God again. And we're looking for the deliverance from its power. Because you see, if we don't grasp this as a church, we are no use to the world out there. If we can't look into the face of evil and see Jesus there, what have we got to give the world? We're just going to run in the opposite direction as soon as things get hard. We're going to stop praying as soon as we... <laughs> It feels too dark. But that's exactly where Jesus went. And it's exactly where we should be. But if we make God too small, as Mark said last week, if we, if we make God in our own image, we've got no chance of being able to see this kind of evil brought to an end. We cannot do it in our own strength. It is admirable that women are marching the streets saying no more. It is admirable. But it's not enough. The only hope we have is in a savior who can and has waged war on sin and death and has declared life on the other side. It's the only way. And the second part of our reading this morning is being honest with us about the need to come into the light, not avoiding God's salvation, but believing in Christ, 
God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save it. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save it. But to believe in this means to admit that we need saving. And that's where the crunch point is for many of us. As we learn to look at Jesus, we need to learn to look at what we need saving from. And we avoid this. I avoid it all the time. It's hard to look at Jesus sometimes because we have to look at everything else. So we distract ourselves in lots of ways, don't we? We we look in different directions. There's lots of ways we can look, but I'm going to suggest three to us this morning that I recognize in myself and you might recognize in you. So where do we distract ourselves to? Well, firstly, we look at ourselves. You don't want to call this narcissism. It's, our, it's a looking at our own achievements, our own work, our self-justification. It's the kind of questions that you ask yourself, you know, what's, how can I prove my purpose today? You might, not, you might not consciously say it, but that's what's going on. How can I make myself feel better about myself? Mark touched on this last week. He, he talked about our deep need to secure ourselves. Secondly, we look out there. We project out there to take the heat off ourselves. We prefer to rant and rave about what's going on on the news or something else away from our lives to distract and bolster ourselves with a sort of maybe self-righteous even, I know it in myself, self-righteous narrative that actually is just trying to take us away from the evil that's lurking in our own hearts. It's a distraction. And finally, we, we look around us. We compare, don't we? We spend hours on social media scrolling through everyone else's lives, making judgments about them and, and comparing our own lives against their lives. And you does, it doesn't usually end well, does it? It usually ends either feeling envious or proud. And you can easily do all these three things before you've even got out of bed in the morning. Do you check your emails or your work schedule before anything else? Maybe to make yourself feel more important or purposeful in the day. Do you check the news, scrolling, getting angry or fearful about things that you can't control? Do you go on social media, maybe getting envious or proud, comparing yourself to someone else? And all this happens before even getting out of bed. What chance do we give ourselves? What we spend our time looking at is really important. And we, this morning I want to say that we have no chance of living in this hopeful gospel narrative that we've been preaching about these past few weeks. We've got no chance of living in it if we're not meditating on it, if we're not looking at it more, thinking about it more, being immersed in it more than everything else around us. Tom Wright says this about the passage we've read this morning. He says, the point of the whole story is that you don't have to be condemned. You don't have to let the snake kill you. God's action in the crucifixion of Jesus has planted a sign in the middle of history 
And the sign says, believe and live. Believe and live. And we want to focus our attention on that sign. We want to focus our attention on Jesus. But how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we avoid those distractions that we spoke about? And how do we focus our direction in Jesus is gaze? How do we daily choose to look at him? Well, I'm going to suggest three ways this morning. They will be familiar to you, but I just want to bring them to the front of our minds this morning. Firstly, read scripture in the mornings. Immerse yourself in Jesus. Before you reach for your phone to check the news or social media or your emails, immerse yourself in the word of God. Don't leave this place until your identity is firmly rooted in what Jesus says. Justin Whitmore Early says this, each morning presents us with these questions. Who am I and who am I becoming? Each morning, the scriptures answer the same. As God says, you are my child and you are becoming like me. Now that's a truth to stand your day on, isn't it? We can't become ourselves by looking inward. We can't become, we can't become ourselves by looking at the reflection on our screens. We become ourselves by looking into the word himself. The apostle Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If we don't find the answer in the scriptures, you can guarantee that someone else will tell you something else, somewhere else, and fill that gap. So read the scriptures in the morning. Pray the Lord's Prayer at midday. You see, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. So when we're looking for Jesus, we need to constantly be in a conversation with the Holy Spirit. We need to constantly be praying and worshiping. But we, know, we all know that doing that constantly can be a challenge. So we need to have these moments in the day where we mark it and say, I am going to choose. I'm going to choose to press in, to lean in to what God wants to say to me in this moment. So at lunchtime, it's the perfect opportunity to mark that moment. You might even, you know, if you're able to kneel at that point, you might just want to put your hands out, say, I'm going to stop right now. It's not about being religious. It's about making space for God to speak to you. It's about making space to invite the Holy Spirit to choose that over scrolling or whatever else you might do on your lunch break, to choose to stop, to pray through that beautiful prayer that Jesus has given us, to allow it to shape and change us. And actually you might find that that habit at lunchtime starts to breathe into the rest of your day. You might find yourself needing it more than once a day. And finally, examine at nighttime. As well as the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus to us, the Holy Spirit also reveals our own hearts to us. It's hard sometimes to know what's going on inside yourself, but the Holy Spirit is able to reveal that stuff if we give him the opportunity to. If we're able to give him space, you know, five minutes as you're in bed before you read your book or fall asleep, just stop and say, Holy Spirit, come. Reveal my heart. Reveal my motives of the day. Show me where I can become more like you. It's as simple as that. And just wait for a few minutes 
And he might just show you, you know, where you might have compared yourself to someone else that day, and or he might have showed you where you, you know, might have stomped on someone else by accident. He might have shown you where you've taken God's seat of judgment and you need to give it him back. It's a moment of surrender before him at the end of the day. And I know that when I don't do this, I take all of that stuff with me through in my sleep and into the next day, and you can guarantee that your heart will be harder in the morning. It's a crucial part of looking at Jesus, surrendering to him at the end of the day. So we have three ways there. There are many more. Three ways to start looking at Jesus. Three ways to get rid of the avoidance tactics that we might have when we don't want to think about our own stuff. But what are we expecting to see when we do look at him? As I come into land, I just want to read a vision of Jesus that John gives us in Revelation 1. This is the same John, by the way, who's written the gospel that we are reading this morning. Later in his life, he writes this, a revelation that Jesus gives him. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. A stunning picture of Jesus. And John, he does something clever with the words from our passage this morning from John 3. He chooses to refer to Jesus as the Son of Man, which you may be familiar with. You might have seen that dotted around Scripture. It's a a phrase that the biblical authors use to refer to the future glory of Jesus. And he also uses this phrase, lifted up. The Son of Man will be lifted up. He's referring here, Jesus is referring to being lifted up on the cross and lifted up in his glorious exaltation. Commentators are confident that he's talking about both of these things at the same time. You see, by a crazy paradox of the Christian faith, we see Jesus' glory most fully in the darkness and the humiliation of the cross. The, cl- the glorious Jesus who we are called to gaze on this morning, who he's calling us to look at him, he's glorious on the cross. He's the crucified and resurrected Jesus with scars in his hands for you 
and for me. And he says, he is the living one, once dead and now alive, forever and ever. And he holds the keys to death and Hades. And he says to John and to us this morning, do not be afraid. Incredible invitation. Do not be afraid. We are invited to look at him this morning, that glorious Jesus. Jesus.